Hey there, language lovers, Shannon Kennedy here, along with my co-host, Benny Lewis, for the Language Hacking Podcast. And today, we're chatting with Elena Mutanono, a former ESL teacher who helps online language teachers build their teaching businesses. If you want more, then check out our Patreon. You can listen to long-form versions of the episodes, including this one, and get access to loads of other exclusive content. In the long-form version of this chat, we discuss redefining what a quote-unquote good language teacher is, things language students should be aware of when choosing a teacher, and our roles as thought leaders in the language space. In the version of the episode you're hearing now, we discuss going from in-person tutoring in Ukraine to teaching online, facing burnout as a language teacher, and figuring out how to teach in a sustainable way, finding balance by saying no to many things as a language teacher and what to say no to, the differences between online and offline teaching and setting realistic expectations for both, and how choosing one focus can help you feel more fulfilled in your teaching. So let's get into our chat with Elena. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 113. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host Shannon and today we are interviewing Elena Mutanono who is a seasoned business coach and she helps online language teachers. Uh, she's also an author and co-author of six books, uh, creator of several online courses, and hostess in the Smart Teachers Library. And she's even one of the organizers of the Online Teacher Summit. So she's trying to make a, a real difference in how we view online teachers. And we're going to go into that in great detail. So thank you very much, Elena, for joining us today. Betty and Sharon, thank you for having me. So before we get into the meat of things, I want to take a step back and just hear your background. So how did you get into language learning first? And then how did you get into your initial experience as a language teacher before we get into all the other stuff? Right. So I am originally from Ukraine. Um, I was born and grew up there. And I actually did not start learning a language um, until I was probably in high school. I mean, I had had classes before that, um, but it wasn't really anything um, as engaging. I was very curious about language, though. I um, didn't like math or science, and I always used my, I think even then, my sort of language learning and geeking skills to dissect words um, in chemistry or or in math. I would look at, you know, the origin of the word and think, oh, this kilogram, kilo means a thousand and all that stuff. So that's how I, I would remember words. And I was really geeky in that. Um, but it wasn't until high school when I um, started taking private classes with an English teacher that I really fell in love with English. And um, I was really curious uh, how I could use a language to really speak with other people and use it to like as a code in a way. And it always fascinated me. And then in college, I took German. 
Um, and um, I took a few other um, classes like you need to take Latin. I also took later, I took Greek and Hebrew uh, when I was uh, doing my master's degree. And so all that to say that I have a fascination with language and it really opened up a lot of doors for me. But English is probably my first love and it remains so. And uh, I started teaching after college um, at a college in Ukraine and I taught um, language classes and uh, accent training really for future translators and language teachers. And that was the first time when I actually experienced how wonderful language teaching actually is and how exhausting it can be because living in Ukraine, I worked in the mornings and in the afternoons I went and I did tutoring in the evenings I went to language schools and so I would leave my home at before eight and I would come after eight and it was exhausting and um, over time um, as I was going from like burnout to burnout and such kind of a schedule really affected my mental health and my physical health as well um, I realized that I couldn't just continue going like that. So I went part-time and then the college where I worked shut down and it was around the time when I was getting married and moving to the U S. So I thought, why don't I start teaching online? And so I began teaching ESL online primarily for my clients in Ukraine. They, it was just, they would tell their friends and most of my clients were Russian speaking. And, um, at first it was wonderful. But then burnout came back <laughs> and it came back with a vengeance. Um, I worked morning till, you know, afternoon. I just felt like, well, why am I burned out? I almost felt like this is unfair. I work, you know, fewer hours than I would at a college and I'm not moving. Like I'm sitting in front of the screen. Why am I more tired? Why do I at some point, hate teaching, hate language, hate, hate English, had everything to do with it. Why is it? So, um, and I didn't realize that, you know, teaching is a creative profession and teachers really need creative outlet and they need space to grow. And I got to a point where I had no space left for anything. And um, so a few circumstances led to me, you know, really reconsidering, like, how am I working? Like, first of all, if I get sick, I'm not paid, <laughs> right? Because I'm paid by the hour. If I get sick, I'm not paid. Um, I had a child in the process, my my first son. And I, I realized, okay, now I'm taking care of my son, I really cannot teach, I do not know what my schedule is going to be, how is it? So I had to like rethink a lot of things, like how am I going to continue working and teaching in a sustainable way? And that thought really, I kept coming back to it because I was like, I just, I need to create space for myself. I need to know how to do it. I need to make something sustainable out of what I do. But how do you teach languages other than one-to-one? -one? And so I began experimenting and this is where I am now is I am coaching other online language teachers who find themselves in a position of burnout from burnout. You know, they don't have any more space. They don't have any creativity coming through them. 
they feel like they've tried this business thing, it's not working, and they don't have any kind of, I guess, assurance as well, which none of us do, but you don't, you don't have any kind of a backup idea. Even if you're sick, you don't have classes, you don't get paid. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And um, I help online language teachers reimagine their work so they can work smarter and be more sustainable and feel better and be more creative. And when we have lots of online language teachers who are more creative, we have a lot more to benefit from it even as language learners, because you don't want to be working with a teacher that are just, just overwhelmed. Um, you want to be working with a teacher that is brimming with ideas and creative because that motivates you. So I think one of the things that people don't realize for language teachers is that the teaching goes beyond just the time they spend with you teaching. Um, I think that a lot of the time we imagine the teacher just shows up for the lesson and then that's it. Like, and we, there's a lot of invisible work that goes on, like preparing for the lessons, like, you know, going over students' homework and things like that. And so really the hour that you spend with your student isn't the only hour that you're working on that student. And I can imagine that, uh, that could be something that could create some of that feeling of burnout because, that work one isn't recognized Two, technically the time you're getting paid for is the time that you're face to face with the student and not the other background work. And it kind of comes into that like trading time for dollars thing where it's, it's hard to be sustainable. So what are some of the things that you recommend to teachers for finding balance with like the background work and the face to face work? Yeah. So uh, one of the first things that I recommend to teachers that I work with in my community is to think about their direction. And that takes a huge mindset shift to say no to many things and to say yes to one or two things. I mean, I remember how hard it was for me, but I was sort of in a way after the birth of my son, um, I was forced to try and reimagine myself because um, it was 2014 when Crimea was annexed. I'm from Crimea. Uh, most of my clients in Russia and Ukraine uh, could no longer pay me and I lost 95% of my business. And so that was serious. So I had to switch from doing all my marketing and writing in Russian to like more of a global audience. But I also... What I had that opportunity to reimagine my business after I went through like six months of being in the fog, <laughs> trying to figure out what am I doing? Is it going to go back? Um, I realized that I, I need to focus. I need to find focus. And that was a huge mindset shift because in language schools, the more hats you can wear, the better off you are, right? You go to a language school and if you come in and you say, I have the certificate, I can do test prep. I have this certificate and I can do writing and I can help with speaking and I can also do this. And of course, your language uh, school director loves you because they don't have to pay 10 teachers for different things. They have you and they can pay you to do everything and burn yourself out and then, you know, do this all over again because, um, and you feel fulfilled because, wow, I, I want to learn and you learn new things. And of course, teachers want to learn. Um, so it's a little counterintuitive for teachers to say, okay, 
I need to decide what is it that I really enjoy teaching and focus just on one or two things. What it does to you, it gives you, first of all, more opportunities to grow in those areas or in just one area. And it also simplifies your marketing and it simplifies your client search and your testimonials and everything that has to do with it. It also simplifies your preparation. You no longer have to prepare. Okay, now I have this student and I'm doing test prep. I need to do this kind of exercises. And then, oh, and this person wants to speak better through TED Talks. And let me create something, you know, using TED Talks. And this person likes this. And so you're just, over, it's overwhelming. And then you most likely are never going to reuse these uh, lesson plans. Most of the clients that work with teachers, they come in and they say, I create these beautiful um, lesson plans of like five PowerPoint slides <laughs> that are only used once. And why is that? Because their students are all over the map. And so are they. And of course, they cannot create or envision a unified system, how to help one client to get, to get from A to B because they they never get deep enough into one subject and they can't organize that process. And so they cannot imagine that, wow, I can use the same lesson plan with the same clients if all of my clients are only taking one track. And that takes a huge mindset shift because you need to say no to many things. And for me specifically, that was a challenge because, well, number one, I was used to having multiple qualifications and B, it almost felt so fulfilling to know that I can help anybody. And so when I chose to say, okay, I'm only going to do, for example, in 2014, I said, I'm only going to do accent training. That was one of my tracks. And the other one, I'm going to work with teachers which now I no longer do accent training, just work with teachers. And even that was hard because I felt like, well, my, my insecure um, professional self kind of thought to myself, how can I say no to somebody that comes in and says, oh, I need help with grammar. Am I not professional enough? Am I not qualified enough? That's, I can't do this. Um, and so I had to choose to do this, to say, unfortunately, I don't think I can help you. And that was hard because it almost like hit me into the heart and to the core of how I viewed qualification professionalism. So I definitely want to return to this theme of uh, saying no in a bit. Uh, but before that, um, like obviously a huge change that was happening gradually, gradually, and now has been pushed overnight to happen over the last like a uh, couple of years with the pandemic. Is so many people working online, and uh, like the temptation is to think it is so much easier because I'm doing it from home. I don't even have to commute. I can, uh, like, uh, I can do it in the comfort of where I where I spend the rest of my day anyway, and I. I personally already get sick of Zoom calls, even when I'm not the one responsible to uh, to guide them. Like I might have 
two or three language lessons a day. And then the, I, I already don't really want to have any more calls after that. And I don't even have the same responsibility that the teacher has. I've personally been an in-person teacher for many years. I was an English teacher in multiple countries. I was even a mathematics teacher uh, for several years as well. But I've never had the experience of being a teacher via Zoom. So how is that different? And like, well, for people who are c- considering getting into that role and may have uh, unrealistic expectations, what should they prepare themselves for? Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you're bringing up unrealistic expectations because, you know, not only was pandemic detrimental to um, our general mental health, right? Uh, we also all immediately went online and then we became targets of this um, targeted um, advertising, um, targets of advertising. Um, and it was very specific, like our situation was explained. And a lot of people got into online teaching because of this ease with which it was communicated it's going to be easy. You're just going to spend your day wearing your pajamas and it's going to be great and you will enjoy this experience and so forth. And so people got into it and they didn't realize how much more work was involved into it. Um, Let's just talk initially about just teaching. Let's say you have clients let's say you do not need to think about where to find clients, which most of the teachers don't recognize that that is going to be a huge burden to bear. But let's say you have clients and then now you're teaching from morning till night and now you actually can um, put as many classes back to back and you can teach more than you would do face-to-face. What happens is you tend to quote unquote, be productive, and you stop noticing your own body, you do not even pay attention to the fact that you've been sitting for six hours straight. And then your body starts screaming back at you, you know, several weeks or months down the road. Um, And what do we do instead of listening and saying, okay, maybe I need to change something about it. It's very difficult, because once you're in it, it's really hard to change anything right? Once you have six classes a day, five times a week, it's very hard to change anything. And so what I see teachers do is they find more, you know, a better screen or a better chair or, you know, a massage thing, this, and, you know, they sign up for for those types of exercises while you're seated, um, but they never address the problem. And the problem is, you you rob yourself of the space that you have and you need to have as a human being to not just mechanically go from one lesson to another, but to think and prepare yourself. You know, and Benny, I'm with you in terms of even client work. You know, I somebody who had like I used to have 20 hours just of teaching every week. And now my cutoff is six sessions a week and I don't even get to that like I only do sessions three times a week and 
I try to make sure that I don't get more than two hours a day, if that. Because what happens is even if they're not one after another, um, you have that in the back of your mind. Let's say you have a session in the morning and then one in the afternoon. You kind of cannot do anything. It Your lesson preparation and it, it just takes up space even in your brain. And it's a lot of emotional labor to even think about, okay, I have a class in the afternoon. And if you have done if you have done teaching online, you know, once you have a class in the morning, you know something, you have something in the afternoon, you cannot do anything in the in between, anything that is sort of productive, right? Um, you cannot write, you cannot create because you're like, okay. And then if you start, if you get yourself into something, then you're like, oh, dang it, now I have this lesson, I need to get back into it. So um, the expectations that people have is that it's going to be easy, you know, this picture, but it actually is not because we're just not designed that way. Uh, we're not designed to be sitting in front of the computer and constantly meeting with people. And we don't realize how much emotional labor goes into it. And then after that, you know, trying to find new clients or trying to network with other teachers, or if you have a question about building a website, you realize I need to build a website, or creating content, that adds even more stress uh, to, to teachers, because then, then they have to learn. But where would you put what you're learning if your bandwidth is already gone? And it's really important because we, you know, we disregard this and very few teachers actually say that, you know, you can't just go on forever. You can't just keep adding classes and just squeezing one client after another, because after a while you're going to break and then it's going to be really, really hard. But, and there's also the precarity of anxiety that comes into it. Like if I don't have five classes today, uh, tomorrow I may not have them. So how am I going to make this money? And so because of that, we're kind of find ourselves in this cycle of, I need more classes. I feel burnt out, but if I stop, I won't have the money. And so it just, it just keeps going on. And then we don't, we can't find any other solutions because we just, we put ourselves, our anxiety puts us into this mode that we just can't stop. So Benny had said he wanted to return to saying no earlier. Um, I also want to return to this and maybe we'll have different questions. But my question for you is, how do you decide which things to say no to? Hmm. Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, for me, there's always, the challenge is always between, you know, good things and the best things. Um, when I first said no to, I am not going to work with, well, the very first time is I said no to some clients that were just draining. You know, you have some students that are just draining. They're paying you whatever you're charging, but one class with them feels like 10 hours. <laughs> and, and I remember at some point after a class like that, and it was way before I started thinking about like, why do I even teach everything to everybody? I don't even like, you know, test prep. I don't even like business English. Why do I teach this? So even before that, I, I thought after a lesson like that, it was like, why, 
why am I teaching this student? Um, and what will happen if I say no to her? And I said no to her. I said, you know, I wrote a really nice email after that session. And I said, I don't think I will be able to help you from now on anymore because um, I think we have different goals and we look at language learning differently. So I don't think I'll be able to help. And that was a huge challenge for me because, again, in my mind, a good quote unquote teacher is the one who can help anybody with anything. And so when I said no, I automatically, in a way, <laughs> in my own thinking, I automatically uh, said to myself that you're not qualified. But I had to then look at, okay, what is qualified actually mean? What does it mean? What does a good teacher mean? Because we all come into teaching with this whole set of beliefs. Um. So the first thing uh, I think, and even to this day, I guess I, I'm still very much on point with with the same. It's 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 based on my feelings. How do I feel? How does this client make me feel? How does teaching X make me feel? Um, does it drain me or does it empower me? And I think even if we have not done much awareness work. We know, all of us know on the very basic level that, wow, I love this class. I feel like I can just go on forever with this client or this client. I just, I feel like I'm not even myself after this. And then I keep going back and rethinking. So giving yourself permission to say, hey, I can let go of what I do not like creates the space then for new things to come in that we actually do like. Giving ourselves permission that to let go of what does not serve us, does not empower us, deplete us, gives us an opportunity to welcome things that we have no idea were there. And that, of course, is risk. That, of course, is courage. It's vulnerable, but it makes us alive. It makes us come alive. And we want more alive teachers in our profession everywhere, but particularly in online language learning industry where the temptation of, oh, you can teach a language for as little as X. And then teachers come in and then they burn out. And then we kind of go through them one after another. And that's a pain, I think. And that's our collective trauma that we see many, I see a lot of teachers that go through that. And I'm sure you have had contact with teachers like that as well. I would also argue that by uh, picking, like you said, particular tracks to specialize in, you're actually more desirable as a teacher. Cause I know whenever I'm starting to learn a new language and I'm looking at the profiles teachers have, um, I actually find it less interesting if a teacher just tries to say like a million things that they're ready to teach me. If someone just says, I help with pronunciation, then that for me all, makes them stand out because other teachers, like they that might be uh, one of the things they list that's in a bullet point of 20 different things. But if somebody says, I just help with pronunciation, and I have definitely hired teachers who 
have told me they will only help with this one thing. So uh, like initially we might be feeling that, like you said, you're not a good enough teacher because you have to be a Jack or a Jane of all trades and you have to solve every possible problem. But I think um, it's not just for the teacher's benefit. I mean, obviously that's the main thing we want to talk about today is that it's like uh, the teacher's mental health is very important. But I would argue that even from a marketing perspective, people can step outside that and see other advantages that they're presenting to the world by focusing on what they know they're good at. So like, have you found benefits outside of the teacher's own mental health in terms of when they uh, decide to pick particular tracks? Yes. And um, another big, big point here is that most of the teachers I've worked with in my community, uh, smart teachers library and, you know, teachers that I've had contact with and coached um, when they choose one track or, uh, one niche, right? When they choose this one thing, they will never go back. You know, once they choose one thing, they will never go back to, oh, okay, you know, it didn't work out for me to teach this one thing. Let me go back to teach everything. I do not know of the teachers that I worked with. And uh, it's probably, you know, we have over 200 people that have gone through our community that decided to focus. And then after a while, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to go back to a generic website and generic offer. Uh, there have been times where people looked at their niche and tried to work it out, and then it didn't work. And then they chose something else. And quite a few, I, I can't say quite a few, but I know of a number of teachers that left the online language teaching profession for something else, because that process of looking in and thinking about what is it that really empowers me brought them to something completely new and surprising. I had a teacher that was teaching English, and then she decided that she wants to teach English for a specific group of people. And then after a while, she said, you know what, I really want to coach people with addiction. and she created a community around this because she had her own story to share. And that was powerful. And that is powerful. And I can see that it makes her come alive and the people around her, she was truly able to help people that were a part of uh, my community. And then again, doing all this deep work, they said, you know what? I like teaching English, but you know, fitness is where actually I really thrive and I want to switch to that. Or people stopped teaching altogether. They started writing, writing books and, and they became an author. And it's also amazing to, to see that transformation. Uh, and none of these people would get to a point where they would say, Oh no, I think I'll go back. So that's, that's a big, um, proof for me that choosing one track actually made people more fulfilled uh, professionally, personally, and because that one track was focusing on their passion, which is one of the things that we really explore a lot. When hard times came, 
they were able to go through those hard times because it wasn't just, they didn't pick a track the way you would pick a random book from the library. They actually took the time to do the hard work of niching. Um, and which, which meant that maybe the first try is not going to be what, what you wanted, but as you keep working, you will get to that. Um, and I found that people that would choose a track because it was supposedly in demand, these are the people that struggled a lot because then they weren't as excited to market. And you know, if you're not excited about your core message and your beliefs and values and your so-called why, right? Why am I doing this? If you're not excited, then your marketing will be stagnant. You will be saying, hey, come and, you know, work with me, but I really don't, don't like doing this, but I'm doing this because supposedly people will pay me more money if I teach, you know, test prep or business English. Um, so it makes people come alive and it really is a great benefit to their mental health. And they also get very deep into a subject. And that's another thing where a lot of teachers say, well, I can't choose one thing because I like so many things. And if I choose one thing, then I'm going to be bored. That's a very, very common misconception. And usually you have that misconception because you've been teaching um, all different things for so long that you cannot imagine how deep each of the of these things can be. And once you start digging deeper, you realize, man, I haven't even, you know, scratched the surface. There's depth and depth and depth in it. And along with depth comes clarity and understanding of that particular uh, niche. And then you are able to stand out. That's great. And we will make sure that links to everything that you're working on, um, your podcast, all of those projects, your social media, all of that will be in the show notes. So people will be able to find that with this episode and uh, check you out and see all the great stuff that you're working on. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Such a great conversation. Thank you, Shannon. Really appreciate it. Until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. As always, at the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our chat with our guest. And this is something that you can try out in your own language learning over this next week. So without any or so let's just get right into it. I'm going to start if you don't mind, Benny. I would say that my takeaway from this episode was how much a shout out can mean to a language teacher or to someone who's doing something. And I would say that this is not just to a language teacher, but even if you know someone who's working on something like language learning, like shout out their efforts, say like, hey, my friend so-and-so has been working really hard at Spanish and I think they're doing a great job or they're amazing or here's the video they recorded of them speaking it. Just something to encourage someone else in what they're doing, whether it's their teaching business or their learning efforts, because it really does make a difference to be noticed and it really does make a difference to be shared. And so that can have a huge impact on the person who's 
information you're sharing. Um, of course, make sure you have their consent first before you do anything like this. Um, or if you know that they would be okay with it, it's, it's a fun way to surprise them. But, um, so I would say this week, go out and give at least one person a shout out bonus points. If you get three to five, uh, Benny, what was your takeaway? So in the podcast, we tend to recommend that people go to italki or Preply to find their potential teacher. And what Elena said, she, she didn't mention those marketplaces at all. She said that it you can actually do it more directly if you very simply use social media to search and find which teachers are creating content. And I know from trying to find uh, content to follow in other languages, I've ended up following quite a lot of teachers in those languages. And a lot of them have their own websites where they advertise their services. So maybe you've tried italki or preply and you haven't found quite the right teacher for you. Or maybe something like what we were talking about today, where you want to niche down and there's a very specific part of language learning you want to solve. And you found most of the teachers you've come across are too, too general you may find if you search people who are sharing their stuff online that somebody focuses on that problem you want to solve and they really want to work with you. So um, that's a really good tip. I, I didn't really think too much. I think I end up relying a bit too much on the marketplaces and there is going to be that extra layer of work and that you have to figure out the payment separately and the time zones and such. But ultimately, you can find excellent teachers by reaching out to them directly. And there may be multiple reasons why these teachers in particular may not want to work for uh, work through platforms like italki or preply. So that is what I would recommend is if somebody wants to find an interesting teacher to do a search for them uh, outside of these marketplaces, you may find a really good option. Definitely. All right. So once again, if you would like to listen to the longer extended version of this episode, you can do so over at languagehacking.com slash Patreon. And we always love hearing from you. So you can leave us a review over at languagehacking.com slash review. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.